And hello, welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. It's been an interesting morning actually today. I will probably record a podcast about it later this afternoon, but for now, I'm thrilled that you're listening. My name is Eddie Cohn, obviously, host, creator of The Spiritual Spiral. And today, you're going to get a chance to listen to the conversation I had a couple weeks ago, actually, with Sasha Nichols, a friend of mine who I met probably, a few, gosh, maybe five, six years ago over at Yoga Works in Santa Monica. He and I pretty regularly were going to Vetus's class and Calvin's class. And I know he was a big fan of Mia Togo, who has moved to England. But I've always, I've always liked Sasha. And I mentioned this in the conversation. I appreciate guys that don't lead with testosterone or adrenaline or ego. There's a sensitivity to Sasha. There's thoughtfulness to Sasha. I've always gotten the impression that he was very contemplative. And he and I have become friends over the last few years, and I felt it was appropriate to have him on the show. I think I really have wanted to shift the direction of the show a little bit, still talking technology, still talking the impact of social media and people staring at their phones all day. But I have been thinking more about my own mortality, where I find value in my day-to-day life, and this idea where basically tomorrow, life just could be over. And I know some of it has to do with Kobe Bryant's death. I know some of it has to do with having a guest on about a month ago who was diagnosed with stage three cancer at the young age of 28. And so we tackle some of these topics. You know, I've been thinking about something and I'll let you go and then you'll hear the conversation. Let's say you passed away tomorrow. Would you have somebody manage your social media? Would you have somebody take it all down? Or would you want it there for the rest of your, not even the rest of your life, but just for eternity? Have you thought about that at all? Are you thinking about that when you post your photos? Do you think about the legacy of your Instagram or your social media? Or are you not really thinking that deeply about it? And I've been thinking about, gosh, do I want somebody to, like my niece, do I want to give her access to my social media, just knowing that she'll probably be around much longer than I will after I pass away and she can delete it or do whatever she, I mean, obviously I'd figure out what I'd want to do with it after I pass away. And I'll tell her this, but these are some concepts and some thoughts that I've been thinking about. And I know I'm getting older and life feels very fragile. Sometimes it could just change at any moment, as we obviously saw with Kobe Bryant just crashing into a mountain in a helicopter. But these are some of the topics that I'm curious about right now. And I hope you join me along this ride as the show takes a slight detour, still talking tech, valuing our free time. Anyway, just just some thoughts to help you prepare for the conversation. You know, Sasha and I talk a lot about yoga, but we also talk about life and death and social media and technology. And we get to know Sasha a lot more. And again, I think it's got a really nice flow. Felt really honored that he took the time to come over here. Hope you dig the conversation as much as I did. If you dig the show, there's a few things you can do that's really helpful and supportive. You can share it with your friends You can head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star or write a review. You can reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Eddie Cohn and tell me what you think about the show. 
As always, I appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Start with the cats in here, but I get the sense should I lock them out? I think if you lock them out, it might be <laughs> better for my uh, my nasal. All right, yeah. There we go. They knew what to do. Hopefully, they won't scratch. They, they, they... If they do, we can let them in. I'll survive. My mom is deathly allergic. Really I'm just annoyingly. Allergic. I've never had. I've only had one guest who's allergic to cats before, and um... there we go. Okay, yeah, I can hear now. Is that weird? Wow, that's wild. Is that strange? No. Because some people, when they hear themselves... I mean, yeah, it's very strange. Then they start, like, talking really quiet. Yeah, I can't believe I was the only guest of yours that, I, that was ever late. I know. Everybody, I am known for being on time. Everybody's been on time. My fiancé hates how punctual I insist we be all the time. I mean, even Calvin, who's, like, the most famous yoga teacher ever, <laughs> even he was on time. Calvin? I don't know if I know Calvin. CT chat, is it some sort of community yoga or what? Yeah, exactly. He's, you know, he's going to be all over this podcast. Um, yeah, I'm sure. We're he, just going to talk about him the whole time. That's what I figured we would talk about. He's getting, so, he's getting so big. I know. I know. That's why I'm in the front row. Actually, though, I, I want to start, though, by talking about that class the last time I saw you. Okay, what about it? Well, I told the story with my last guest about how I told the guy behind me oh, yeah. to wipe up. Yeah, so yeah, you yeah. were you were next to me and you know, I'm not I'm I'm very generous. Okay. I'm a germaphobe. Sure. We all know that. I didn't know that, but okay. Yeah. So oh, interesting. But the, the fact that I actually am okay with practicing next to you is a compliment. Thank you. Because I'm Thank so you. insane hmm. that you you never smell, but you know you that I also have towels, so I'm not going to. You have on towels. You. Yeah. you breathe. You don't breathe out of your mouth. Right. You breathe in it because I've had those mouth breathers that literally it's breathe. It's the off. worst. It's the it's, worst, right? Yeah, it's distracting. It takes uh, you out of it. Yeah. Especially when they've had like garlic soup for yeah, yeah, yeah. lunch or something. So oh, you, you don't have shoes on. That's a good idea. I'm going to take my shoes. Yeah, off. take Is them off. Okay? Get comfortable. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hopefully, um, hopefully, it just stops with the shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that guy. To your point, though. I heard you call him out in the middle of the flow and just say, hey, bud, you know, what did you say to him? Like, don't drip, like bring a mat or bring a yeah, towel. bring a towel. Um, you know, you, you got to wipe up. And I used his shirt. Well, this is what's like aggravating. He grabs his shirt and he does this half-ass attempt and he yeah. sort of wipes up a little, a few drops. And I go, no, you've got to like really wipe up. And so yeah. I grab his shirt and I wipe off the sweat mm-hmm. because there must have been at least 15 drops. of sweat. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking like you know, one or two, which of course I let that kind of stuff slide. Right. So, so was I an asshole? No, I think that you said the right thing. I mean, I think that say what you will about Vinny. I like Vinny a lot. Um, but I like how he maintains strict order in his class of the rows are all spaced out. If you don't have a towel, he says something to you or he'll yes. get you a towel. I appreciate that. Cause it's, um, when it's that packed in there, you need, people need to follow rules. <laughs> like, yeah. Otherwise it's just chaos. But yeah, dripping on someone's mat, that's, you know, even independent of any sort of like germophobia issues, it's just rude. You know? Yeah, it is. It's just rude. Well, um, the, the dripping isn't rude because you can't control it. No, you that. can't control it. But, but like the idea up, that yeah. you're not. And it's funny, you're yeah. right. Vinny is the only teacher that I've ever heard announce look, you're going to lean over somebody's mat, yep. put your put towel your on their mat. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, we're going to tell a couple quick yoga stories. But I remember yeah. being 
in Vetus's class uh-huh. a few years ago. Okay. And some guy, very similarly, but even worse, was just like sweating all over my mat. And I turn around, I say, dude, you got to wipe up. Mm. And so Vetus, like either during or after class, comes up and he's like, you know, that's your yoga, Eddie. You need to like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. What, is, what does that even mean? That's exactly. Yoga. Well, there's like that's the that's the universal answer for anything a yeah, yoga teacher yeah, will yeah. say is, well, that's your yoga, which okay. to me is you know just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. So of course I'm thinking, God, am I the asshole for telling this person? You know, you got to wipe up. But, no. But I get the sense that people feel like they can sort of just do whatever they want now. I think so too. So would you consider yourself a yoga works person? Like, is that where you learned yoga for the most part or where you practice the most? How long have you been practicing for? Well, I'm, I'm going on 15 to 20 years. I started in my twenties, but then I took about six years off because I just burnt out on it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was doing Iyengar yoga and I felt, af- and I was really sick, and it certainly brought me back sure. to good health. Yep. But I felt a cu- couple things. Iyengar started to feel a little bit culty. And Manuso Manos was my teacher's teacher. Well, he recently has been accused of, of, oh, of harass- yeah. sexually harassing all of his students. Right. And I witnessed many times where he was just a complete dick. Where was the studio? It was on... Um, Third Street near La Cienega. This was years okay. ago. This was 20 years ago. Wow. And I even went on a retreat where he was hosting it. And some woman, he teaches class mm-hmm. and it's over. We're in Hawaii. And then she hops up in a handstand right after class and he tells her to fuck off. He's like, Whoa. he says, what? You just told me to fuck off. You told my class that, that you had to hop in a handstand right after my class. So that's just some ego shit. He had no, he, such insane ego. Yeah. So back to your point, I started in that world of Iyengar. I really loved it, but then it started to feel culty and kind of insane. Mm-hmm. And then I associated Iyengar and yoga with my health. Mm. And I kind of needed something where I was, it, it, I needed a break. Mm-hmm. Like every time I walked into that, into a yoga class, it felt like I was going there because I was still sick, even though I wasn't anymore. I see they saying. were just associated with one another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like when you associate something too much with an ex-girlfriend or something like that. Yeah, right? exactly. To, it's going to take time off though. I feel like with yoga, especially people go through stages in lives where they're really into it. And then for whatever reason, they just have to get out of it. So I've been practicing now for maybe 13 years, 12 years. And there are different periods where I took like a year off or so. And it was good because I came back to it and I actually cared, you know? Yeah. As opposed to just showing up to class and going through the motions. And it's just working out, you know? And if you're just going to work out, just go to the gym. Well, why did you do... Because you're not a teacher, but I know you did a training with Mia. Yeah. With Mia. yeah. What, what was what was that all about? Um, so I've always been a student... I mean, I was in school until I was 32 or something like that, 31, 32, between uh, getting a PhD in law school. Um, And I think this is maybe two or three years into working. And I was working at a big law firm, and it wasn't very fulfilling. And I think I needed something to make me feel, I think both to get back into a classroom setting, and then also something to make me feel, I don't like the word spiritual, but just something that was giving me purpose or where I was kind of trying to discover something. Yeah. I don't know. I was doing mergers and acquisitions law work. It's not the most spiritually <laughs> yeah. intellectually fulfilling uh, career path. But anyway, so I think that Mia was 
uh, she had mentioned in her class, one of her classes that she was starting a uh, training soon. She had like a weekend, uh, an info session on Montana. Right. And I had nothing going on that Saturday. So I was like, oh, I'll go to this info session and, and just hear what she has to say about it. So I went and uh, I'd known Mia for a few years, four or five years at that point in time. She had become a friend and I think in some ways almost like an older sister. Like mm-hmm. she, we'd joke around and she'd kind of jab me sometimes. At the end of the info session, she says, she's like, oh, so are you going to do this in like a, like a bullshit kind of way? Like, you're not actually going to do this. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And one minute before that, I didn't know I was going to do it. And I said I was going to do it. I was like, all right, fuck, I guess I'm going to do this now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm happy she called me out on it, though, because it was, I did a long program. It was um, two or three months, something like that. So every Saturday and Sunday, yeah. yoga works. Um, and it was awesome. Like, it's. Uh, just in terms of both pushing me physically, obviously, but then learning about the sutras and just different things like that. It's a good way to ground the practice, but also ground me mentally and emotionally and things like that. And I met some awesome people and it was it was fun. I'm really happy I did it. It's given me a better appreciation for what we do and why we do it in yoga. And some, in some ways it's bad, though, because now I some teachers, you know, I'll go into a class. When I'm traveling, I'll go to a class in some other city. And it's like, oh, this teacher fucking sucks. You yeah, know? It, yeah. It's, it makes it really hard or like. When I'm back home in Minnesota, um, really the only good yoga I found in Minneapolis, unfortunately, is core power, which is just, no, that's the right answer. Nothing yeah. against, shit, I shouldn't have said that. Nothing against core power. It's like, I'm glad it's there because it actually is, it's better than most, but it's just calisthenics, it feels like. Yeah. And then some of the other smaller studios in Minneapolis, you know, within the first like two minutes of class, when it's the middle of winter, like negative 20 outside, teachers putting you into the deep hip stretches like what the fuck like someone's gonna get hurt right now yeah so in some ways the teacher training was bad because it's it raises your standards for what you expect out of a teacher but i mean on on par i feel like it was it was good and it's actually funny because i recall one day i was between we had a break during training and i walked outside and you were just leaving class Uh and you were walking towards samosa house and you're like, hey, Sasha. I was like, hey, dude, what's up? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm doing a training right now. He's like, oh, you're doing a training. Yeah. I was like, yeah. He's like, you're like, how is it? I was like, oh, it's, you know, it's awesome, blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah. You were like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing a training or whatever. So I still feel like uh, I'm the reason that you eventually did a training. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I put that in your mind of like, because it's not that big. I mean, so I have the same question for you for why you did it. But I feel like it's one of those things that for people like us who have practiced for so long and practiced so often. Yeah. I think it's a good progression in terms of this is how you can push your practice farther, further. Like it's going to Vinny and Calvin and Vetus, you know, every day, every week, you can only push your practice so far. But I think delving into some of these deeper questions of, of the sutras, but then also doing the breath work, I feel like this was a pretty good um, other thing I learned in yoga training that's kind of helped me with my practice a bit more. So yeah. I don't know. Why did you end up doing it? Because you, you did it at um, Yoga right? Small, yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking about a lot of stuff, though, as you're talking. Um, people would come up to me and say, I should be a yoga teacher. And I was getting frustrated by, and I even recorded a podcast about this. Um, just It's just my reason for teaching yoga and getting into yoga. I was getting frustrated by the egomaniacal behavior of yoga teachers. I've noticed that theme in your... You know, podcasts. Yeah. yeah. And I think it it mirrors just the trend in our culture. And I found there to be no humility. Mm. Um, And I felt as, oh, and I was also going to classes where the music was terrible. Were you going around town, mostly different studios, or were you mostly at Yoga Works, or where were you going? 
yoga works a lot, mostly. And can we name names? Like, I'm curious. Which <laughs> can we not do that? Cut this part out. But I'm curious. No, <laughs> it's fine. Um, I mean, we've taken their classes. Sure. So. Okay. So the classes who I've okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but it wasn't just yoga works. I think it was some other studios. Hot, Hot eight, eight was yeah. was just kind of driving me crazy. I felt as though the experience could be better. This is what's conflicting with me. I feel you as not you, but one as a yoga teacher has to be very careful to project their own beliefs onto their students. Mm -hmm. And I'll try to explain. I think we are being manipulated more now than ever before emotionally by, by just the constant onslaught of technology mm. by people projecting their beliefs nonstop all the time. I mean, I know the, the irony here because I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so yeah. I think yeah. as a yoga teacher though, I want to create a space where people are thinking more for themselves. I am doing as little as possible mm. to project my own beliefs. All I'm trying to do is create a space where people can hopefully tap in to their own brain and mind frequencies going on. Sure. And then they can ultimately then hopefully decide to deepen their practice. So how do you do that without saying something? How do you encourage that then? Well, right? you've just said something. I try to save it very as little. little as possible, sure. And I've been to classes like Bianca where literally every single moment of class is occupied by the teacher talking. And, yeah. and to me, that was so disruptive yeah. and so distracting. Yeah. And I realize I am four years into teaching, but I have, to me, through my own practice, through studying with, you know, Vetus and Vinny and Calvin and Tamal and taking Sean Gray's class, mm-hmm. I mean, these to me are some of the best teachers in the country. They also talk the less out of teachers in LA. I do think they talk, talk a lot least, less. Yeah. yeah. Um, compared so, to like a, yeah, Bianca. Um, again, I love all these teachers. Bianca oh, Jocelyn right. talks a you lot. Know, you, you know, I, Bianca, yeah. right. Um, I've been to her class at Westwood a few times and, uh, like I'll even give you a story. I'm, I liked Mia a lot, but I remember going to her class the day after Donald Trump won oh, the yeah. office. You may have even been there. That was during my training. We, yeah. I was with a friend who is a Republican. Mm-hmm. And he, one of my friends actually said, how can you be friends with a Republican? And I'm thinking, how can what? a Democrat have that? Like, that's, to me, that's the least Democratic. This is the tribalism that's... Right. Yeah. So uh, we, go into, we go to that class, and I swear to God, I felt like I was at a funeral. Yeah. She literally just brought the energy of the room yeah. down to a point where it felt like somebody just died. And I, that really turned me off. Mm. And when I'm seeing that kind of stuff happening, I mean, we have the power to manipulate emotions and feelings in others more than we sure. give ourselves credit for. Yeah, sure. So I don't know if I'm answering your question. So a, a lot was really going on to mm-hmm. inspire me to go down that road of becoming a yoga teacher. Hmm. Why do you practice yoga? Well, it changes. You know, originally, you know, I started practicing in my 20s. Because of the health. Because of health. Right. And then I went back to it again in my 30s because I pulled a muscle 
nerve mm-hmm. slash nerve in my neck to the point where I couldn't even move mm-hmm. my head. Mm-hmm. I was swimming so much that I th- oh, right. and I think a lot just started to get aggravated in this area. So then yeah. I went back to yoga. I went to that's when I actually met Vetus for the first time. And then Michelle Goldstein was a teacher. Mm-hmm. And then I really fell in love with Vetus's class over at Santa Monica Power. Mm-hmm. And then I followed him over to Yoga Works. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met you. Mm-hmm. And I met Calvin. And I mm-hmm. started te- taking Calvin Calvin's class and Vinny. And I, I was obsessed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I'm curious. I like how you're asking me questions. Um, <laughs> no, it's good. Because it, it, um, it's just it's a nice back and forth. Good. But I was thinking, though... That class that we went to with Calvin, where it was packed, mm-hmm. 90 people in there, and there's people that are sneezing and coughing, and there's people sweating everywhere, and people are doing their own thing, and people are hopping in handstands, and and it, it, I even said to you, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah, it was a bit batshit in there. It was like, do, how do, what do you hope to achieve by going to those classes? Yeah, so I think a big part of yoga for me is the collect or going to a class is the collective experience. It's I really do enjoy sharing that moment with other people. I'm not religious. I don't go to church. Never have. One thing I have always envied about religions is the community aspect and being sharing space with people. Mm-hmm. And I do like that aspect of me showing up to someplace at a certain time with other people to do this thing together. I like that. It feels like community to me. I talk less to people in yoga now than I used to. In fact, now I'll show up, I'll put my mat down and then I'll walk on the lobby and just in the lobby. Cause I don't like the energy in the room before yeah. class. It's just too, it's just too much going on in there. Um, but I used to show up and talk, just random people talk to you. It's how I met you. Just said, Hey, one day and you know, various other people. But even though when I go to yoga now, I don't talk to random people. I still just like having that place with other people. That said, you're right. That class the other day, I mean, good for Calvin. Also now he's just, he's packing classes full. It makes me really happy for him, but it's just, it is a bit crazy in there. Mouth breathers. I can't stand them. Um, People whose mats are just everywhere. It's, it's tough, but I still, there's something about it for me that when uh, just, I don't know how to describe that. You know, the feeling just after an hour and a half of that, it feels incredible. I can't get that feeling of doing an hour and a half of yoga at home. I don't can't. Get that, okay. I, I cannot get that feeling. And it's the wisdom that I've gained from yoga comes mostly from, from Mia and Vetus. Um, but I can't push myself to that edge. This is what Mia always used to say. I can't push myself to that edge uh, of kind of, enduring that pain in yoga at home as I can in a classroom. And that's what I need because my brain is so fucking busy. And the only time that I can shut my brain off is when I'm at that edge in yoga. And it's, I need it. It feels when I walk out of that classroom after an hour and a half, it's the best feeling in the world. I feel clear. Um, even leading up to that, that last moment I get, I get like little goosebumps over mm. my body at that last moment. Um, before I say namaste at the end of class. It's the best. I can't do that at home. I'm just, yeah. I don't know if I'm not disciplined enough or it's not the right space or not the right vibe or what. If there's distractions at home and, and we connect home with something else besides yeah, yeah, yeah. yoga. I mean, they do say a lot or teachers say, you know, to try to get a home practice, um, which, which is, I don't know. I like practicing at home. It's, I used to go to yoga works six days a week yeah. and I actually kind of burnt out on it. On yoga works or? Well, just here's the thing. It's, it's, there are hour and a half classes. I mean, I realized there's some date. It, you know, it took me a half hour to get there with yeah. parking. It takes 30 minutes to get home. And it ended up being a two and a half to three hour it's thing. Yeah. It's, it's like, yeah. I, I can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I can do it maybe once a week. Yeah. 
But I'm curious. The thing about you that I've always found interesting is that you do always seem deep in thought. You do have this very contemplative perspective. And I think the thing that I do like about Calvin and mm-hmm. the thing that I get frustrated, though, about some male yoga teachers is they're portraying their ego. Yeah, sure. They're projecting they're, something out there. Yeah. yeah. And with Calvin, I don't get that vibe. No, and never. I And I know it's a common personality trait with a lot of men, mm-hmm. testosterone, just the way that our DNA is. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate the part of, of men where they're not trying to be egocentric yeah. and they're thoughtful yeah. and sensitive. And I always sort of picked up on that vibe from you. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I think yoga is a tough place for, so I recall when I first started going to yoga at yoga works as a guy who had never done yoga and I was athletic and, you know, always worked out in sports, what have you, but it's a very intimidating place to show up when there's tons of attractive women around you wearing not much clothing and they are far better than you at this thing than you are. Right. So I think there's a, a curve of getting over that and it involves ego shit and whatever else. But I think I got past that at some point in time. It took me years to get past that. And now it's just, I don't really care anymore about who's better than me at yoga or who can do it. I wish I could do a handstand. I can't do a handstand. But now it's just that place where it's it's for me in there. So I don't really care about anybody else. Like being on that mat, about, it's about me. Yeah. For you, it's about you. Or it should be, right? Like, yeah. I still remember um, the first day of uh, training with Mia. There was It was a big class. It was like 30 people or so. And she asked everyone to go around and say their name and why they're doing the training. And no shit, there were at least two or three people who literally said something along the lines of like, oh, I saw a woman on Instagram doing a handstand on an elephant and I want to be able to do that. And I was just like, what the fuck? Yeah, like, you can't was, make this stuff up. No, no, it was it was serious. And I mean, good for Mia for not kicking them out right away or or whatever. I think Mia wanted them to have their own journey, which they did. One of the women who said that at the end of class, at the end of training, she said, I can't believe I came in here thinking that that's what yoga was about. So she had her own arc, which was good. That is why I think the things that we post Mm. have a far greater impact emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, than people really think. Sure. And when, you know, these Dylan Warners and the the Andrew Seelys and, you know, I don't don't follow them, but I even would walk into class two years ago, Mm -hmm. people are talking about this. And it's influencing the future direction of a practice. Yeah. Talk about this mean in the sense of talking about like, oh, hey, did you see what this yoga teacher posted on Instagram kind of thing? Or what do you mean? No, people are talking about, did you see that handstand on the rock? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people think that this person is, is a god. Right. That, you know, well, I want to work on getting my practice to that place yeah. because that seems so perfect. Yeah. It's why, and I know you touched on this in other podcasts. We don't need to go into it, but it's why I, I've always appreciated, I'll say her name, Mia's Instagram and um, like Dylan Drew's Instagram is that they don't post photos of them doing poses. They just, it's just a normal shit. Like yeah. Dylan's boat, dolphins, Mia posts photos of, you know, going to get lunch and stuff. Vinny's the same way. Vinny actually doesn't post much at all. 
Yeah, a lot of other teachers, even teachers who you and I like and respect, I think for them it's more about, you know, there's sponsorships and things sure, like that. Yeah. It's, for them it's an it's an income stream, which I get. I get it. And I respect that. We all gotta make our own money. But yeah, it's it's definitely toxic for life. Well, let's talk about this though, and because I do wanna go thinking about Kobe Bryant, but I'm thinking about like what brings us value and what's important. But again, I, I don't mean to harp on this, but as a yoga teacher, I think there is a certain responsibility to do whatever you can to create a world where people are actually thinking for themselves. I think we as a culture so easily embrace Instagram or Facebook or technology, our phones. It almost feels like it's a law to have an Instagram account. It almost feels like you, it's a law to own a smartphone. Sure. And when I see people creating content that gets more people that that's influencing people to Mm -hmm. act in a particular way from Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I've even muted and unfollowed most anybody that is portraying a certain persona Mm -hmm. on this platform, because I don't want my brain to think of them based on what they're posting on Instagram. I want my brain. Now you're different though. Mm. I follow you, but you're merely posting not perfect looking photos from trips that you're going on. And it's actually making me think, oh, well, Sasha just went to Yosemite. How cool. I can't wait to talk to you about that. As opposed to somebody who's posting the most perfectly filtered, perfect photo all the time about every little thing that they're doing or curating something. I don't want to be subjected to any of that minutia. Yeah, it's not fun watching that on Instagram. It makes you feel bad about, I mean... For a split second, you can't help but like feel bad about yourself and then also feel bad for that person of like, oh, they have to do this or like, why are they doing this? Is it is it some sort of shortcoming or I mean, for a lot of the especially the yoga people, I just rationalize it as like, OK, this is their job. You know, like they're making money doing this and that's that's it. Um, but yeah, it's it's sad. It's I don't like being proselytized like that and feeling bad like that. Like I don't know. It's. The inspirational messages. I don't need to see any more roomy quotes or anything like that. Yeah, it's just. It's What's your relationship with? Um, I know you think I, and I know I I have a slightly glass half empty perspective because, again, I think people are DMing and texting and mm. not talking. Mm-hmm. And I know every time I have somebody come over mm-hmm. and talk to them for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm or whatever, I feel, I feel better. No, you're right. So like last night, for example, I have a really good buddy, Charlie. Um, he used to live in Venice near me and he moved to Ohio a couple of years ago with his wife to raise their family. We used to get drinks or dinner all the time. Just he and I, two dudes getting dinner and we would just talk and talk and talk. And it was so like, I just, great conversations, never looking at my phone. Just, we just go on and on. And uh, I saw him last night at the brig for a little bit. He was in town for something. And um, saw him, and instantly we just started talking. And then he had to go to dinner. I had to go meet some friends for drinks downtown. But we just didn't stop talking for that hour. And I walked away just feeling so good. And we talked about he's a big Red Sox and Pats fan. You know, as with most people, I don't like the Red Sox or Pats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it was good to talk about, you know, like these cheating scandals, et cetera, what it it means more philosophically for the sport of baseball, et cetera, et cetera. And it just felt so good to have these conversations, which you don't have over DMs or over instant messages. Most of my best friends are still back in Minneapolis, back home, and we have a 
a, uh, what do you call it? A WhatsApp thread yeah. with like 10 of us. Um, and we'll get deep on there. It's, but we've all known each other for 15, 20 years. So there's history there and that's nice, but it's also because these are people who I have history with, or we have history with each other. So right. I wanted to ask you, so I know that you wanted to talk about Kobe today. Do you have any, pers- are you a baseball guy at all? I mean, I'm a sports fan. You're a sports guy. I, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about like the Houston Astros thing? Uh, Is that what you were thinking? So it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah. Uh, well, the, I get frustrated by. I don't mean to. I know this is your no, podcast. But I no, but no, it's fine. I mean, it's it relates and it it will relate to this culture where I think people can't be held. Re- people don't want to be held responsible for mm. the actions. The fact that the Major League Baseball league is not suspending the entire team pretty, for a yeah. whole year. I mean. The Houston Astros should not exist next year. No, it's pretty bananas. Yeah. It's all they did is I think not suspend the manager and the yeah. coach or yeah. like the or more. Yeah, so two guys get suspended, a five million dollar fine, and then I think they lost two draft picks. To no, slap, they say that this, this is the most the biggest penalty they can assign under like baseball rules. It's bullshit. It's, dis- like, it's yeah. disgusting. It's well, and it it makes me think about. It feels like athletes can sort of just do what they want. Yeah. And it's really discouraging. Athletes, I mean, we do um, we do put athletes on a certain pedestal and make them infallible in a very bad way, right? Like this is one of the harder things for Kobe fans or this whole Kobe conversation. One of the harder things for people to talk about the third rail is the allegations that happened against him. Yeah, people don't even, and it's funny, I've, I've recorded a couple podcasts about it. I've had a hard time saying the word rapist. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I would say sexual assault. Right. And I've wondered if I've been disrespectful by not saying it or am I disrespectful for saying it? Right. But there was a really good article in the LA Times a few days ago where, you know, people on ESPN are saying something like the ups and downs of Kobe's career. Mm. And how dare and they're saying, how dare you refer to being accused of rape as a down? It's so far greater than that. And I read the Daily Beast article when it came out years ago and the one a couple weeks ago. It sure as hell seems like he raped her. The the details are pretty intense. Yes. Uh, And but what's fucked up is is that, you know, she didn't want to testify because she was getting lambasted and ridiculed like for how dare you criticize and and call this guy a rapist when he's one of the greatest basketball players ever. It's it's almost like you know, it's weird. People throw the godlike status yeah. up yeah. so easily. And, you know, this is the way I sort of reconcile it all. People are good and people are bad. Yeah. And in and, 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 and the sense that we we possess both. We do. I mean, it's it's hard, right? So we are animals is what it comes down to. Yeah. We're just, we're highly evolved animals. We still have these instincts that you know, they're very basic animal-like instincts that we can, you know, the more evolved part of us can rationalize over it, but sometimes we just act in a certain way because we're animals. I'm I'm not, like, obviously. No, of course not. You know, when you're dealing with male-female sexuality with one another, none of us were there. Right. And things can be misinterpreted. Right. And one person could think that this person was really into me, right. but maybe she actually wasn't. Right. And again, right. I'm not condoning any sort of forceful sexual activity. Right. But 
when and then when you're looking up to somebody, it's really complicated. Now it's pretty clear when you're an ass like Harvey Weinstein and you're clearly taking advantage of a situation and and and, and just a complete pig. Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear what's going on, right? But there's a show on Apple Plus with Jennifer Aniston mm-hmm. and Steve Carell, mm-hmm. and it's, yeah, I've it, heard about it. Yeah. It's about this, really, and huh. you know. Sometimes the area can get a little gray. Sure. And this is, so what were you going to say? Well, just no one's perfect, right? I mean, obviously, like, raping someone is bad. That's the far end of the spectrum. But no one is perfect. No one is infallible. Like, we're human. We're, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fuck things up. And it's just a matter of understanding a person, the totality of what they've done, right? Um, well, and I ask myself, you know, when do we not ever forgive Kobe? Like, that that to me seems crazy we can forgive. i mean but i think maybe can, we can't i don't know you can forgive. so I, I don't think it's so is it our our as in the person who wasn't raped or whatever is it do we have the ability to forgive him is it up to us is it i think so okay i mean we can certainly forgive but we can't we're not going to forget about it right like i'm a i'm a twins fan curry pocket you know, he made some mistakes back in the past and Minnesota has not forgotten about that, but we've forgiven him to a certain degree. Did um, you, did, do we forgive these people because they are so good at sports and we love sports so much? No, I think we forgive them because we're empathetic. We're humans. You know, we understand that they made mistakes. Hopefully, you know, I don't know. I don't know if Kobe ever acknowledged anything, but hopefully they the accused acknowledges that they made a mistake. No, well, that, he had to publicly acknowledge it and well, publicly quote unquote in court right i mean this is part of a settlement agreement exactly yeah it's i mean so he pays a few million bucks he says a few words in court and then it's gone it's not genuine i mean who knows this is like in law school we talk about restorative justice and things like that and reparative justice and apologizing and things like that i think it's important if you can help the person who was accused understand that that what they did was bad well and i can understand somebody out there who isn't a sports fan Mm -hmm. who doesn't care that he won five championships right and all he or she thinks about is, you know, this guy was accused of this terrible act. Right. I don't care that he passed away. Yeah. Because I've, I've read those responses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think I've been out here his entire career. Mm-hmm. I have, the fact that he has moved this many people to sorrow right. and pain mm-hmm. And to become more reflective on their own life and to go down, down, to go downtown, pay their respects. And beyond just him, the fact that his daughter passed away and these other people on the helicopter who passed away and two parents passed and who have two kids that are still alive. It's heavy. I think it reminds, you know, death is something that I'm really been thinking about a lot lately. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still, you know, I do all these things to take care of myself. Yeah. And here's Kobe who's 41 and he's only 41. That's and wild. he's just, he's gone. Yeah. So I've had a few thoughts about this. So the other day I was coming home from LAX and going down Lincoln and, uh, I noticed that a bunch of buses have on the ticker, you know, the outside of the bus, RIP Kobe. So instead of saying, you know, the bus stop, the destination, it just says RIP Kobe. And it got me thinking about how long has it been now? Two weeks? Two Three. weeks, yeah. So 
so I'm not a basketball fan, not a Lakers fan. I appreciate Kobe as an athlete, etc. But it got me thinking about how in certain countries there's, you know, there's periods of mourning, right? Like someone dies, then you mourn for three or four days, and then you move on. So here it's been a couple of weeks. We still have, you know, buses with tickers saying RIP Kobe. There's still cars going around with, you know, Kobe written in paint on the window shields, things like that. At what point in time do we move on um, and just let it go? Because I think mourning is important, right? And thinking and reflecting is important. But moving on is also very important, right? It's part of the healing process. Um, So at, at what point in time do we move on? And I know that Kobe was, you know, the five championships. I think a lot of people viewed him as a good, a positive force in L.A., but he wasn't. He wasn't a world leader. He didn't, you know, create peace in the Middle East. You know, he was an athlete who passed away and it's sad. He, he died early. It's sad. And he was a, you know, a good father from what I've read. But at what point in time do we move on? Well, I'm conflicted because I think we live in a culture now where the news is, you know, the news is fed at us at such a rapid rate. Yeah. And these news companies are competing for your attention. Right. So they're racing for the next story. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I almost feel like it's okay if we kind of soak this one in a little bit. Okay. Or even the the potential horror of the coronavirus. <laughs> and I don't know what to believe right now because, you know, I have a friend who has a friend who was on a conference call uh-huh. with somebody in China mm-hmm. and he's scared to leave his house. And they're saying that the death toll is... Like twenty thousand, yeah, but the hard, news yeah. sources are actually saying it's much less. Hmm. So I don't know. I feel like anything that can get us to sort of stop for a moment and reflect, because what's happening now is, yeah, the trend is to move as fast as you can. Now, I so I agree. Stopping for a moment and reflecting is important, but I also. You know, I've had a lot of bad things happen in my life. I'm sure you have as well. We're humans. And it's good to reflect on those bad things for a little while and learn or to just simply reflect and think and be appreciative. But I think it's also just important to move on at some point in time. I think also one thing I've had a hard time with with Los Angeles, and I love LA and I love how this has brought LA together in a way that I've never seen. I've been here for 15 years. So this yeah. is seeing LA react this way has been just... It's wonderful, but I feel like this is also a lot of just hypersensitivity. I mean, all these people expressing grief and remorse, Mm. you weren't Lakers fans, you weren't Kobe fans, you just want to be part of some collective feeling. Um, And it feels dishonest in some ways. I don't know. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I think I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. (laughs) No, I think we, we have a way of feeling something because somebody else is feeling it and sure. there's this strange tribal tribalism happening yep. where everybody just latches on because that's what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And I do appreciate somebody sharing their issues with somebody like Kobe. Mm-hmm. I just, the, to me, there's a difference though of somebody, you know, there's Washington post reporter who, tweeted a link to the daily beast article within like a half an hour of him passing away Mm -hmm. like to me that's just being an asshole no and she tweeted she or he i can't remember which she she, i believe but there was no context whatsoever right it was the link it was just a link yeah so to me that's there's no thought in that but 
I can appreciate somebody having this these this quandary where they don't know how to react as opposed to everybody just anointing him as this messiah. Yeah, and certainly what it felt like, didn't it? It did. Yeah. And I I think the thing though about it is and before we move on, he's been here for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Most athletes now just hop sure. around. Yeah. I think he was just starting to the last few years based on what I've seen and read. Mm-hmm. He was really embracing fatherhood. Yeah, sure. And raising four girls. Mhm. And I think also the way it happened. Yeah, and it's tragic. It is. It's just a shock. Literally, it's it, yeah. Just so I can. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because you know. Unfortunately, I'm from Minnesota, and we don't have any, you know, current sp- sports idols like that. And maybe Joe Maurer, but he was just this emotionless. Uh, I couldn't get myself attached to him. So maybe was, I don't know how to empathize. But to me, it's just one of those things where it's like, all right. It was sad. Let's move on. I'm not a basketball guy, so it's maybe that's another issue for me. But at the same time, I'm also a pretty pragmatic guy. Right. So I just I don't know. Well, yeah, there is that part of me where, yeah. I, where I am curious where we do hold these athletes up to such a high level. No, we do. And it's, and it's is it a good thing? Is it not a good thing? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's... I'm not sure. So, yeah, so I guess I have to ask myself the question. So, like, if Kelly Slater was killed in a plane crash, would I feel... I would definitely feel something if that happened. So maybe that's the way I need to think about it. Um, but I also think, I mean, I don't, we don't need to compare Kelly to, to Kobe, but I think of all the good that Kelly has done, both in terms of pro surfing and in the world. I mean, he's an ambassador for good. Um, yeah. But yeah, maybe I need to spin on that one a little bit more. I just, I've, I've been ready for LA to kind of move on. Do you think about your mortality or did it make you think about that at all? Or just, I don't, cause I did. Mm. And how did it make you think about your mortality? Just in that you could be gone in well, a heartbeat. And I do. I've been thinking that a lot lately. Just I'm in my forties mm-hmm. and I do all these things like exercise and yoga eat pretty well. Mm -hmm. I drink alkaline water and take like literally every day. Mm -hmm. And, um, what is that supposed to do by the way? Well, it's supposed to keep the pH levels in your system balanced. Mm -hmm. And I guess that fights against, um, acidity in your body, which then can potentially lead to, you know, disease and illness. Yeah. And I'm not very religious. I have a hard time having faith that everything's going to be okay sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just this idea that I'm going to be gone and that's it. And I, I, I have a hard time. Does it scare you? Yeah, I think so. Because I think because I didn't go, I don't know what's next. And I have a hard time knowing or wrapping my head around that. Hmm. It doesn't scare you. I don't, I mean, I've had, I've had death, um, touch me in kind of intense ways. You know, my grandfather passed away when I was finishing law school, which was hard for me. He was a really kind of important figure in my life. And then, um, an ex-girlfriend, uh, 
had someone close to her die, which really impacted our relationship. Um, so I, I know what death can do. You know, my dad is recovering drug and, you know, alcohol uh, issues. So he's he's touched death. I've, had, I've actually had to bring him back from death a couple of times, which is intense. Wow. In terms of, and he's, his health is failing now, which is, is hard to see. But in some ways, I feel like I kind of let him go in some ways when I was like 14 or 15. Um, like emotionally? Uh, no, I mean, we're still very, very close. And my dad for a long time was my best friend. But in terms of the impermanence of my father in my life, yeah, I let him go around then knowing that, um, like having almost lost him a couple of times, um, I know what it feels like, you know, but in terms of my own mortality, I feel like I think about it every now and again. Cause so uh, I fly a lot cause I live in Venice, but I work up in the Bay. So I'm on a plane like 130 times last year. It's, oh, wow. Fucking sucked. Yeah. It's such a life. But so, you know, when those plane, when those, when those wheels get off the ground, there's always that split second where I'm like, is this it? It's so funny that I go the same place, but I also tell myself 20,000 planes take off around the world every single day and they're all fine. But there is something about that plane ride where I feel out of control. Yeah. It's, do you have control issues? I guess I do. Yeah, sure. I mean, I I mean, that's the weird thing is that I don't know if I have control issues, but I do all these things to try to make, to make it feel like I'm in control of my life. But the irony is, is that really we're not, we're not, no, we're not at all. Um, but yeah, so I feel like I've contemplated mortality often and it doesn't, I'm not religious either at all. My parents were hippies, so there was no, ever, there was never any sort of religious, you know, talking about God or heaven or anything like that. Um, <laughs> when I was five years old or four years old, my best friend at the time, Ben, who's Catholic, he was saying how they had pancake breakfast at uh, his Sunday school. I was like, mom, I want to go to Sunday school with Ben for pancake breakfast. And she laughed. She's like, sure, go to Sunday school, see what it's like. And I came home and she asked me how it was. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I don't really think about what's next. It doesn't, I'm not scared though. I'm not worried. I mean, this is, this is life, right? I feel like independent of like, you know, people close to me having, you know, died or whatever. And then, you know, I, I legitimately almost died once surfing. I had a really intense mushroom trip a few years ago where I not only thought I was dead, but I thought I didn't exist. Hmm. that was heavy i don't know I've, I've had to think about it a few times but i'm not scared i mean what's the point of worrying about it right it's going to happen eventually you know i guess i worry about the process maybe of dying oh like a slow death or something like that potentially you know i had a lot of health issues as a kid and and so you have a different perspective on this then from your health have you talked about your health issues on the podcast before? yeah okay. yeah i mean i was in and out of hospital for years and eventually they Diagnosed me, diagnosed me with rheumatoid arthritis, okay. which is an autoimmune disease. But yeah. back then, none of the nobody really knew the condition. Right? You know, it's it's like lupus and Crohn's disease, and your immune cells or your your immune system attacks your own body. Right. Right. So I dealt with that from the age of twelve to seventeen, and then like twenty two to twenty four. So when you're dealing with potentially dying, yeah. And not getting better and missing years of school. And sure. you, at least rather I, felt like I have a hard time trusting everything's going to be okay. Yeah, and it's weird. Sense. I feel like the best that I've ever felt. Yeah. But I think being not religious and then having that happen. And then when I see Kobe dying like the way he did, it's hard for me to have faith.
have faith that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, that everything's going to be okay. Yeah, I guess I just don't... I mean, I have a hard time, especially right now, you know, this deep in Trump's America, I have a hard time feeling like we're going to be okay in America. You know, I feel like we've gotten off track. I mean, Corey, whether we've ever been on the right track, but I feel like we're not doing good things in America anymore. Um, But in terms of myself... Do I have faith in that things are going to be okay for me? Yeah, I mean, I think similar to what you're saying, you know, I I run almost every day. I go to yoga several days a week. Um, I eat really well. I, I drink a lot, but I really just like drinking. I know it's not healthy, but we have our vices. Um, yeah. But I think the hard thing for me isn't so much mortality, but it's just becoming a week. So I, I love to go on, you know, intense backcountry hikes multi-day yeah. in the Sequoia. And I love going on surf trips and things like that. So what I fear isn't death. I fear being old and not being able to do shit. Yeah. That's what I fear. Um, like looking at my old man, he's, I mean, he he was a, a goldsmith, a jeweler, so he used his hands quite a bit. And he developed really bad arthritis a few years ago. So he couldn't even, and he was a fantastic artist, but he can't, he can't even draw anymore because his hands are so fucked. Um, his hips have gone, all this stuff. And he's 71. And I look at him and I think, oh, if I'm if I'm in that shape when I'm 71, put a fucking bullet in me. Like, yeah. he can't go for bike rides. He can't do any art. You know, that's what scares me. That, not so much dying, but that that phase there of where you're just, you're weak, you know, you don't have the same bodily functions. That's what scares me because to me, that's what's the good stuff in life of being outside and being active. And I don't know, that's, that's really what scares me. So that's what motivates me now. And I have thought more and more about my health and doing things better now for the future in ways that I never have before. I'm 38. So like, I can't just rub dirt on stuff and have it be better, right? Like I need to <laughs> right. take care of myself. Yeah, um, yeah. So especially with drinking is one thing where I thought, okay, I should probably cut back on this a little bit. Um, not that it's an issue. I don't like miss work or something like that. But it's just like I know that I, I would be generally healthier if I drank less, you know? But that's what scares me is yeah. being old and not being physically healthy. Well, know? I think I even think that too in the sense that the positive spin that I think of is that life is really great right now. Mm-hmm. Like I do feel wonderful. You and look good. Well, thank you. Likewise, I think, no, and I, I have a lot of liberties and luxuries right now that I don't take for granted. Yep. So part of me just feels like this, it's very possible. Like if this is the best that our lives are right now, mm-hmm. are you okay with that? If this is the best my life is right now. Like we're constantly wanting more or doing this or that. Yeah. Well, and like- then I, sometimes I think to myself, you know, if... If this is as good as it gets, you know, this is actually, it's actually pretty good. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, this is, life is pretty good right now. I mean, we're also very lucky, right? And I don't think, I try to reflect on that as much as I possibly can. Like, where we live, we live in paradise, right? I think so. Um, what we have access to in terms of food and yoga and culture totally. and stuff, it's, we are so lucky. Um, my fiance and I are, are contemplating moving to the Bay soon, to Oakland, um, and I mean, the Bay is fantastic, right? Uh, why do you Why do you feel that way? That the Bay is fantastic? Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. Oh, so no. So that was a total bullshit answer. Like the, the Bay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I thought you were serious. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The, the Bay is good. Like, it's, I mean, it's better than moving to, no offense, but like Cleveland or something like sure. that, oh, right? Yeah, no, you're right. It is. <laughs> but it's just, I'm having issues with San Francisco and the Bay and, and just, 
there's this strange dichotomy with so much wealth. Yeah. And then, like, it's happening down here. No, it, it is. It's before we came, before I came to your house, we we're up in Malibu. I had to get some sunglasses fixed and the Alver people store there and in, in um, whatever that shopping center is by Cross Creek. Cross Creek, yeah. Yeah, it's just BMWs, Land Rovers, just these like, you know, the displays of wealth up there are disgusting. And my my fiance Anne said something like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's not like this in the Bay. I was like, Pfft. and she's from Berkeley, so she's a little bit biased. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. there's even more wealth up there. People don't drive flashy cars and stuff, but it's no different up there, especially in San Francisco. San Francisco is the absolute worst. It's that city, I think, is just it's unfortunate what it's become um, in terms of just homogeneity and, and all that. It's just it's it's sad because yeah. um, it's such a beautiful city with a beautiful, rich history. And now it's just a bunch of, you know, rich, you know, white guys who work in tech or finance. I mean, it's not just white, but it's it feels very. I was going to say a line from um, Once Upon a Time. He says something like those crazy hippies or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But it's more like the East Bay, though. It's my my brother's in Oakland and it feels a bit more diverse um, and vibrant in a lot of ways over there. But it's it doesn't have what LA has, though, um, in terms of the culture is not the same. Um, the yoga is not the same. The surf is colder um and there's just a certain energy that we have in la that i've always had a hard time articulating what that energy is um that they lack up there and i don't know i also just i love los angeles i me too it took me a long time i I hated the city for a few years but now i absolutely love it so i think i'm just kind of struggling with the idea of leaving here and um well let me backtrack just a little and then i'll I'll let you go um why did you're from minnesota yeah why did you come out here get a phd in ucla so i mean were you like did it have to be la were you no all- so it was between i was debating between um ucla and, and uva university of virginia and um but for what i wanted to do the the best group was at ucla and they flew me out uh in the middle of march which is the snowiest month of the year in minnesota mm-hmm. so it's funny thinking back on it now because they flew me out in march and we landed at lax and like i get in the rental car and driving up the 405 to Westwood. I'm like, oh, these palm trees. Like, there's those beautiful green hills up there. This place is fucking paradise. And I was on the 405. And now I think about it. Like, I drive on that part of the 405 all the time. And now I think how funny it was back then, how entranced I was by it. But now I just hate being on the 405. Yeah. Uh, no, so it didn't have to be here. It could have been Virginia. Or I could have gone and done Peace Corps. Um, but the opportunity was right. And I'm I'm happy. It's hard to run counterfactuals about, you know, like what would life have been like if I had gone to UVA? What would life have been like if I had done Peace Corps? But I think that I'm happy with the decision that I made. So you, know? you came you you came to college out here? Grad right? school. So Grad you, school. Yeah. College of Minnesota, PhD at UCLA. So what was your PhD in? History. And uh, what were your intentions with that? I don't think I was 22. I didn't. I had no idea. Um, I had a mentor in college who said that I was good at reading or good at writing and good, okay. good at reading, good at writing and good at researching. Uh, and he encouraged me to apply to graduate school. And I thought, yeah, this is like, I like the idea of a career in the academy where I don't have a boss. I can work my own hours. I don't have to dress nice. I like it. I like those ideas, you know? Yeah. The issue was I was 22 and I had no idea. I mean, you, you evolve so much in those years. You're different. Who you are at 25 is so different from who you are at 22, who you are at 28. You know, at least for me, I didn't know who I was back then. I was, I wasn't confident. I didn't really have any sense of myself. I think moving out here, I, my values changed a little bit and I realized, okay, if I graduate with my PhD and go into the academic job market, 
I'm going to be making shit money living in some podunk town and some, you know, state and with the bounce around for a while. It's not what I wanted. But being out here in L.A., I mean, L.A. really shaped who I was at that point in time. I realized how much I liked food. Mm. Um, I realized how much I enjoyed surfing, which is a hard part of it. Uh, I think one of the hardest things is I realized that money matters. And so that really changed my trajectory of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be. So I finished my Ph.D., but I went to law school just I needed to have some skill set. So, you know? so you've had a you have a PhD and a law degree. Yeah. Wow. Now I wonder you're thinking all the time. <laughs> <laughs> thinking all the time. But it was, you know, it's the same question of I I had lunch the other day um with a classmate of mine from graduate school who did the same thing, finished his PhD, he did a postdoc at Berkeley, then ended up going to law school as well. And now he's working at a law firm, same kind of law firm I worked at previously. And he was asking me, he's like, you know, was that a waste of five years of our lives? Yeah. Um, and I, I try not to, like, it's good to find value in anything, you know? And it was, I was a very stressed out, anxious person during those five years. But I also think back on it, I surfed almost every day. And I don't surf that much anymore. I, I wish I did. I just can't get, I can't get myself to do it. Um, Why? What do you mean? Uh, I don't, I think, um, I just can't, I don't know. I think it's kind of like yoga, how you were saying, how you had a few years where you just, weren't really into yoga anymore. I think I've been in, in that stretch with surfing for a long time now where I'm just not that into it. And I'll try pretty hard to force myself to go a few times a week. But for some reason, I just can't, you know, when the alarm goes off at 5 a.m., it's also getting older too, right? Like the two buddies of mine who I used to surf with quite a bit, one moved back to Minnesota, the other one has a kid now, so the time's right. not there. I mean, we're just getting old, so it's yeah. shifting priorities. But I miss surfing um, in that it, it gave me many similar spiritual feelings um, as yoga does in terms of clarity of mind and things like that. Um, that 30 seconds where you're actually, do you surf at all? Have you surfed no. at all? Yes, like that. You know, you'll be in the water for two hours, just sitting in the water. But, you know, of that two hours, you're actually surfing for collective like three or four minutes, especially here in L.A., right? Because the waves are so short. But that 10 or 15 seconds when you're on a wave... It's just you, you are totally focused. Your mind is completely blank. And it reminds yeah. me of, in some ways, meditating at the end of yoga, where I'll sit there and I'll meditate for two minutes at the end of yoga. Ten seconds of that two minutes, do I actually reach some sort of clarity? But that ten seconds is so worth it because you walk out just having had that blank space for a little Gosh, while. Are you able to actually do that in a group of 90 people in a yoga room after so this is i think why like, i can't do that i can't i don't get to that space oh yeah man but this is i think why especially the hour and a half yoga classes especially like the sean grays the, the calvin classes where you really beat it out where you really work for an hour i think that's worth it and i think this is you know the limbs of yoga this is the truth right like you can't sit with a calm mind until after you've worked your body so after working that hard for an hour and a half, I do have that ability just to sit there. And again, if we sit for two minutes, I only get it for 10 seconds, but I do eventually reach that point. Sometimes you don't, but you can't be attached to it. Like yeah. if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, you know, shit happens. It's funny, I was... There's a few things I'm thinking. I went. I do swim though, mm -hmm. and I place a really high value on not having any of the senses on. Mm -hmm. Like in the shower, 
you know, it's just you and you're cleaning yourself, obviously, and your mind can go in any direction Mm -hmm. that it wants to go. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing a book and I'm in, I've, I'm so close to being done. I just need to write the last section and then I'll be done. Is this a novel or nonfiction or? Well, it's a, it's a satire. So I guess it sort of of walks the fine line of being Mm -hmm. truth and, and, um, fantasy. But I swam for an hour and a half today. And for that whole hour and a half, I, my mind was really like thinking and contemplating and going, thinking about the book. And, and I was realizing, gosh, this is one of those, few times where the music isn't on yeah and the mind is really allowing itself to just do what it does do what it does sure and it was pretty awesome do you push yourself or is this when you're swimming are you pushing yourself harder is this mostly just like an exercise of just doing laps at a pace Uh, no i mean i i swam um 3500 meters is that a lot i don't know yeah it was two miles okay that's a lot of swimming yeah so i i definitely you know some of the laps I'm timing myself and mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think, and that's, what's interesting. You know, I, I love yoga, but then when, you know, the, with the music going, I wonder if it's really allowing the mind to actually quiet down so it can actually oh think and wander. Yeah, man. No, for me, I can though. Those times when, you know, during, you know, doing a few series B's and the teacher just lets you do your own thing and they pump the music up super loud. Yeah. I mean, to me, the series B is to get your body warmed up for the rest of class, right? So for me, sometimes I'll just do one of the three. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll sit there in, in meditation um, or two of the three. I'll sit there in Virasana. And even with that music super loud, my mind, I think my mind in some ways can go to deeper places than it can otherwise. Um, just got to close your eyes and just sit there. It's, it's hard. I get it. But for me, for me, I can. I think silence can be a, a bit unsettling sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I wonder if that's something to examine. No. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't swim, I run, but I always have, but you have music, know, music going when yeah. I'm running. Yeah. But I do reach a, you know, I love the runner's high, that meditative state. I do love that. And I have to imagine you get to the same place swimming. I used to swim in like early in high school and the coach would always say, you know, swim until you see colors. Hmm. Um, in terms of like pushing yourself that hard, right? Um, but I was in high school, I couldn't swim that hard, and I didn't really care that much to push yeah, myself that yeah. hard. But I hear what you're saying. I'm jealous of that, though. You like being in water, then, yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah I think that's a common thing with uh, you know, surfers and swimmers. There's a certain, and I've read articles about the the chemistry of the positive ions that you get from being in water for that long. It's right. good. For, it's it's definitely it's you know it's good for your body. It's good for your mind for sure. So so what do you? Like, what do you value most right now? I'm curious. And that's the other thing that the whole, this idea of mortality and death and, you know, I want to try and tag in a little bit of technology. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think, so let me ask two questions and it'll kind of surround sure. both areas. You know, what do you value? And I'm thinking about that right now because of Kobe's death. I think about my own mortality. And part of the reason I created this podcast is I get the sense that people are val not the sense, it seems obvious to me, especially the younger people are, they are valuing their Instagram life more than their real life. Mm-hmm. And I, I do, they, those are two existences. Mm-hmm. And to manage one's real life is already really challenging. Yeah. So no wonder people are so anxious and confused because there are emotions that are happening from Instagram. Right. And, 
and people are thinking about those right in in conjunction with thinking about their real day-to-day life right right and so i created a podcast because i think it is especially as a yoga teacher when i see people creating more content mm-hmm. that gets people to spend more time mm-hmm. in the artificial world mm-hmm. I think that's creating more toxicity and sure. more anxiety. Yeah. I mean, there are more and more articles that are coming out that that's true. Yeah. But I, I'm not naive mm-hmm. because I realize that these technologies aren't going away. Right. So hmm. I am curious. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You know, how are you, you know, what's your intention with tech? And then what do you value most? And do you think tech is as bad as... I think it is, or this sort of goes to your point about people just embracing Kobe when he died. I mean, I just, it feels like we all just embrace this stuff and don't really think about about it. it, Yeah. So I think the thing that I value, and I've actually been thinking about this quite a bit for the last, oh, at least year or so is valuing. And I think this goes to a basic premise of your podcast actually, is I value um, deep connections quite a bit in terms of friendships, for example. So, I mean, I used to have several very deep good friendships here in LA with many people but people moved away the friendships have eroded whatever and at our age it's hard to make those deep connections with somebody new um yeah so I found myself valuing very much so and and making sure I keep close those friendships that I do have like my my good friends back home um and the handful of you know deep connections I still have here in LA I have a very you know vast wide social network here in LA, but it's shallow, you know, it's acquaintances, etc. But there's a handful of deep friendships that I still have that I value quite a bit. And that's important to me. But I think this connects to what you're saying about technology, though, is that I, I feel like the way that we interact with people on Instagram, it creates this false sense of friendship with people who we don't fucking know at all. Like, you're not friends with that person that you follow on Instagram who has 2.4 million followers. You know, like, right. if you see them at, you know, Coffee Bean or Earth Cafe, you can't walk up to them and say hey to them because you you follow their life in a really weird voyeuristic way. It doesn't mean you're friends. It's not a genuine connection. Um, you're just consuming what they're putting out there. Uh, and it's sad. And I, I find myself doing that on Instagram, too, of there's many people I've unfollowed because I realize this isn't, this isn't healthy. This, like, the way I'm seeing their life or their, what they're putting out there, this isn't good for me to see. Um, and it's not doing anything good for me, so I delete it. So what do, what do I end up seeing? I end up seeing a lot of photos of my good friends with their kids or whatever. And I don't have kids. I want to have kids. I don't have, you know, I see these photos of kids and for a little while it's like, oh, do I have to see another fucking kid photo? <laughs> yeah. But then it's like, all right, this is my good friend. I'm happy that I'm seeing this part of their life, you know, because if I lived in Minnesota where they are or New York or whatever, I would see this part of them more often but this is a good way for me to see it. And that makes me happy. So I think consuming technology in that way as a way of reinforcing friendships that I already have is important, but creating these, these false friendships or sense of connection is what it is. What's your intention or do you have like, why do you post the stuff that you post? Um, that's a good question. Why do I post the stuff that I post? I mean, so to be clear, I would say, (laughs) 80% 80% of the stuff I post is of my two-year-old Vishla, Indiana. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just a good-looking dog, so i got to put him out there. I mean, I think part of it is to have my friends see, because I have a private account, so people who are following me are my friends, you know, or people I know in the neighborhood, you're my friend. So um, it's not just random people on Instagram who are just following me, you know. 
So I think it, I, I do genuinely think it is to let people know how I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but I struggle with it though, because I'm a very private person. Yes. Me I, too. I'm, I'm very private. I, I very much dislike it when people talk about me. I very much like it, dislike it when someone says, Oh, I heard from so-and-so that you did this. And for some reason, it just really irks me when people talk about me behind my back for better or worse. It just, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because I've been hurt by gossip in the past. I don't know, but it's I'm very private. Yeah, so me it's, too. It's, it's hard for me. I don't know. Well, and it does feel like Instagram and the world we live in benefits those that are displaying more of their life. Absolutely. And yeah. I don't think that's necessarily good or true. No. I think this idea of not even just your, I'm not even talking about like, your private information, like your social security number, or your credit card information, right. just this idea of not revealing every detail of your life mm-hmm. there to me, there is something that is to, supposed to be valued about that. Sure. Yeah, sure. I think, I think you and I are also, I think it's two things. I think one, we're a bit older and two, we're both from the, the Midwest yeah. um, where there's a certain amount of virtue placed on the private life, um, which I mean, we live in L.A., right? Like, the city is built on certain people's lives being on the public for everyone to consume. Hmm. Um, so I think maybe we just come from a different value system, for better or worse. Um, but yeah. well, that, when I see, I guess in closing, to bring a full circle, though, when I see yoga teachers mm-hmm. constantly revealing this and that and this and that on Instagram all the mm-hmm. time, I don't think of them as yoga teachers anymore. Mm-hmm. I think of them as self-serving narcissistic i am trying to get attention from people yeah it's tough i mean i think a lot of yoga teachers so thinking back to what you were saying about mia earlier and i'm by no means defending mia here but i think that a lot of people treat yoga as therapy as well Hmm. um in that they go there for some sort of cathartic release or to um hear a teacher say something you know that's going to help them process something they're going through in life i mean i've definitely gone to yoga when i've been dealing with really difficult moments in life and the teacher has said something or i've gone someplace in my mind in yoga that was very good for me and again a cathartic way so i think there are some teachers out there who who you know might overshare on their instagram i try to give them the benefit of the doubt that it's it's therapeutic for them to say these things uh and someone one of their students might read that message and find something in it that helps them process something you know I don't know, maybe I'm being overly generous with what they're... No, I, I think that's probably the intent. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I've just really become, and I'm not some crotchety, is that the right word? Sure. Crotchety old man slash Luddite who doesn't love my iPad and yeah. my laptop. Yeah, yeah. And I love my phone. Yeah. And I love to be able to share some of my creative pursuits. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think we're spending way too much time staring at our phones. Yeah. And I think anything that I can do to bring some awareness to the toxicity of technology, I think it's, it's not about thinking that my life isn't easier than it was 10 years ago because mm-hmm. of the fact that I have an iPhone. I, I really believe it, it is easier, mm-hmm. but I think we are at risk of creating more robots than actual human beings. We are. Yeah. And I, th- I just, I think it's an interesting, complicated 
discussion. You know, it's certainly complicated. And it's I appreciate that you are you're using this as a forum to process your own feelings about it, but then also raise the issue for others to to think about in terms of the the full spectrum of of it of whether it's oversharing or over consuming or whatever because these are things that we need to think about right i think so and again i think you and i come at it from a different perspective in terms of our own personal values of you know being private you know dealing with shit on your own like if you have a problem just deal with it you don't need to share it on instagram just deal mm. with your shit you know yeah well it kind of we keep talking but last point <laughs> no but you're right there is some strange it's yeah. almost like people are valued more if they are comfort if they comfortable if they are comfortable sharing something personal yeah and i don't weird i don't get it i mean if you're if you're happy sharing something personal good for you i don't think you're a better person because of it and again right. it's it's a it's a value thing for me it's if just, just deal with it, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm also a very, you know, pragmatic Midwesterner. Um, so, you know, I didn't have, my parents got divorced when I was young and my mom had to raise us. So I didn't have someone there to, you know, if I was having a bad day, help me feel better about it, just kind of deal with it on my own. So maybe that's my own personal upbringing. But um, yeah, man, it's a crazy world we live in right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It really, and I, I don't know if the freaking coronavirus is going to just consume America. Oh, I mean, I Every day I fly through LAX, I see people with masks on. I think, should I get a mask? Oh, well, I'll be honest. Yeah. I'm one of the very early adopters. Oh, the mask? I've been using a mask on a plane. Oh, yeah? For the, like, like the last six years. Huh. And not for like short trips, but, you know, even going home to Ohio or flying to Mexico or Europe, I don't. The, I'm, if I'm going on vacation for two weeks, you don't want to get sick. I don't want to fucking get sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, and sure, sure. God, man, everybody's fucking coughing and sneezing <laughs> all over the place. It's the worst. Are you one of the? Do you have the the gel with you oh, all the time? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, yeah, <laughs> sure. I mean, I airplanes are the worst for me. It's funny. I think I'm the exact opposite of you, and I think this might have to do with the fact that my parents were hippies. I don't, <laughs> I don't care about anything. Like, yeah. I should probably be a bit more careful with um not my hygiene but about uh like washing hands and things like that because yeah. I, I don't really care at all <laughs> yeah but uh that said never <laughs> ever drip sweat on my yoga mat i will freak the fuck out at you <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah <laughs> uh well sasha dude i appreciate you yeah over, taking the time of course man i'm sorry was, it took this, so long no it's cool this was good this was really good it's i appreciate fun. i appreciate it yeah, yeah.